0: everybody happy january 17th happy monday and happy full moon Uh, whatever it is that you might be celebrating today i hope that you leave a little bit of room for astronomy and looking up at the night sky if you are just tuning in for the first time welcome to the conversation this is space talk where we talk about everything space literally that's why i called it space talk and I'm your host, Athena Brenzberger, uh, also known as Astro Athens on basically every single platform you could potentially think about. Um, and uh, that was just because I started this platform um, across all different social media uh, because I love space and I really want to share that with the world as well. And uh, if you want to really know why I first started uh, doing kind of this whole com world, Um, It was because of a professor of mine who really inspired me. Um, His name is Dr. Charles Liu, hoping to actually get him on the show very soon. And he did something really incredible in my very first day of my first astronomy class in college. And that was capture the attention of every student in the room um, and get them interested in space. Even the students who were taking this class as kind of just a core requirement, um, for like, taking a scientific elective uh, for even students who are business majors, communication majors, finance, and who had no interest in pursuing a STEM career. And that really stuck out to me. It stuck out to me that um, everyone in the room was kind of a, had this collective aha moment. And I thought, I really want to do that with uh, with my career. I want to spend some time uh, sharing not only my love for space and science, but actually try to really make it interesting enough to get people to want to um, you know do their own research, their own reading, their own studying, and maybe even their own observing um, of the night sky. Because what's so cool about astronomy is that it's right there, just above us. All we have to do is look up. And so um, that's why I started uh, Astro Athens, and that's why I started Space Talk here on Colin. <laughs> Um, so as we always love to start the week off, um, with things that are happening in the night sky and in space history, I'm going to, uh, go ahead and pull up my weekly transmission that I just sent out yesterday to all of my subscribers. If you are not a subscriber, you can head to astroathens.com and scroll to the bottom of the page. And it says sign up for the incoming weekly transmission. Uh, you can either sign up there or you could go to, um, really any of the pages on astroathens.com, I think I ended up adding a section where you could add your email. Um, And so, yeah, so if you like receiving this information in written format and also in visual and images, um, I do take the time to actually make um, one of these emails each week. So we've got quite a lot of um, really cool deep sky objects. We've got two of them. We've got a couple different celestial events and then some really interesting space history that I tied together with the astronomy term or word of the week. So I'm going to go ahead and kick it off with that. Now, the reason I like to do astronomy word of the week or astronomy term of the week is because there's uh, there tends to be quite a lot of different vocabulary that's used in the field of astronomy that isn't really normal to use <laughs> in your everyday lives, um, like uh, like zenith. Or uh, meridian, or supernova, or globular. I mean, like these are really funny words. And I tend to use them quite freely, not only in this podcast, but also in my everyday life. And um, I've definitely gotten strange looks from people before where they're just like, What did you, are you speaking English? And um, the reason they don't understand is because most of the time it's not English. (laughs) A lot of them have derivatives in Latin and Greek, uh, Italian. And Arabic as well. Um, And so that's another cool factor that I just love about the field of astronomy is that um, you're learning words from other languages. Uh, And I think that humans should really make an active effort to actually try to become as bilingual as possible or learn as many languages as possible because, you know, we live on a planet with so many other humans who've just all evolved to speak different. Um, different, different tongues and have different cultures. And I just think that that's a really cool thing. So kind of, you know, maybe uh, download download a Duolingo or something and then learn, learn another language. Um, With that being said, uh, in case you're wondering, I I don't really, I'm not super fluent in uh, more than one language. I'm fluent in English, but uh, Spanish I was semi-fluent in uh, when I lived in Mexico, but it's not that great anymore, but I could have a decent conversation. But anyway, moving into astronomy term of the week. Um, So I turned this one to a term rather than a word, and it is because it has to do with our space history this week. Astronomy term of the week is Carina Sagittarius Arm. Now, if you are familiar with the Milky Way galaxy, you probably already know what this is because I said arm. Arm. And it is one of the four main spiral arms of the Milky Way galaxy. And uh, the two words I said at the beginning were Carina, C A R I N A, dash Sagittarius, like the Sagittarius constellation. And if you were to look at um, an image, or actually an illustration, I should say, of the Milky Way galaxy, you'll see that there are four main. Uh, names for the most prominent spiral arms of the Milky Way. Now, the Milky Way galaxy is a spiral galaxy. It's barred, which uh, along that center bulge, it actually comes out to sort of look like there's a bar running across that center part of the galaxy and then breaking off into two main arms. And then those arms will then start to break off into another arm and another arm. And you have four main arms uh, the Milky Way galaxy, and then some kind of like other scattered uh, accumulation of interstellar dust and stars that you can start to see. Uh, again, an illustration, we don't have an image, that that's just because we haven't ventured beyond our own galaxy to have a outside an outside perspective, an outside image of it. So all these are typically uh, either artist illustrations or some type of model uh, that is created by an AI algorithm. So um, that is one thing. But if you're wondering what the other arms are, we have the Orion Cygnus, the Perseus, the Scutum Centaurus, or Scutum Centaurus, and the Sagittarius Carina. So those are the four main arms of the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, usually what we're able to see um, overhead when we see the uh, the Milky Way stretched across the sky is usually the Sagittarius Carina arm. Sometimes we can see parts of the Orion Cygnus, um, and I believe that's it. I don't think we've ever been able to really see the Scutum Centaurus or the Perseus, uh, but maybe maybe it has been seen. Don't quote me on that. So. That being said, um, that brings me to, I want to jump ahead to space history. I'm going to do things a little out of order here, and that is because we are talking about the Karina Sagittarius arm, and since it's related to this week's space history, I'm going to jump to that, and then we'll end off with must-see celestial events. So, um, for this week in space history, so I dated this January 17th to the 24th. Um, the first events uh, weren't I, I, that I researched didn't occur until January twenty second in nineteen sixty eight. This was the launch of NASA's Apollo five mission. This was an uh, uncrewed mission. This was um, launched on the uh, Saturn one B rocket. I should meant to write that actually in my um, transmission. So. If you receive the transmission and you're listening to this podcast, then um, you get a little bit of extra information that those who received my email transmissions didn't. Um, the, if you look up an image of a Saturn 1B rocket, it's a lot smaller than the Saturn V. Um, it is a little bit smaller, um, and that is just because it did carry the Apollo 5, um, not only the the actual capsule itself, but it also carried the lunar module inside. And the whole purpose of this was to test out the lunar module ascent and descent propulsion systems. So it launched Apollo 5. It ended up being the first successful Earth orbital test. So it orbited Earth uh, and it was able to test out that ascent and descent propulsion systems of the lunar module. So uh, really exciting. This was one of the big steps into uh, finally launching uh, the Apollo missions for people to be on board. That was January 22nd, 1968. Then on January 23rd in 1779, Charles Messier, who we talk about quite a lot on this podcast, discovered M56 globular cluster. So go ahead and check out that globular cluster. I'll let us know when, when it's when it's visible. Um, actually, since so well huh, that being said, since this is the time that he discovered it, uh, it sh- possibly might be visible. Um, I didn't put it down in the deep sky objects this week because that's not when I caught um, on my different resources or my different sources of information. But um, if he discovered it around this time, it probably is visible or will come into visibility sometime this month. But now, the thing that is tied to Astronomy Term of the Week happened on January 25th in the year 1752. Nicolas Luis de la Cale discovered the Eta Carne Nebula, or the Carina Nebula. Its catalog name is NGC 3372, and it's located in the Carina Sagittarius arm of the Milky Way galaxy, so this is why I decided to use that term for astronomy's Charming of the Week, the Carina Sagittarius arm, one of the four main arms of the Milky Way galaxy. If you want to know a little bit more about this nebula, it's, first of all, very beautiful uh, to image. You can check out some pictures taken by Hubble. Uh, really, really beautiful. My, my favorite photos of it uh, is when it's illuminating a lot of red. It's a lot of pink, hot pink color. It is an emission nebula about 8,500 light-years away from Earth. So that is um, something that you may also be able to see around this time of the year. Um, So if you have a good enough telescope, you can see about 8,500 light-years away from us. uh, You should be able to image the Carina Nebula. And for our last event of uh, space history for this week, happened on January 25th in the year 1980. It was the launch of the IRAS, or Infrared Astronomical Satellite, which ended up being actually a collaboration between both NASA and the Netherlands Space Agency and the Science and Engineering Research Council in the United Kingdom. Uh, This ended up being a, a very unique telescope system that was used to survey the sky for infrared radiation and to try to generate a collection of sky maps. Among all of its discoveries, IRAS revealed the core of our galaxy, the Milky Way. So another reason why I chose astronomy term of the week uh, to be this, uh, Karina Sagittarius arm is because if you received my weekly transmission, you receive the first image that comes up in the email is uh, that Uh, Artist rendition of the Milky Way Galaxy. You're able to visually see what it looks like. This is, again, an illustration of it. And it's tied to two different events of space history, both the discovery of the Carina Nebula and also um, revealing the core of our galaxy thanks to the Infrared Astronomical Satellite Mission. Um, and this was the first time that we really understood the core of our very own galaxy. This led to the discovery of Sagittarius A, the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Um, and I think what's another cool thing is the fact that this is an, this was an international effort. This was an international uh, collaboration. And uh, that ended up, yeah, not, not only telling us a little bit about... Uh, that center core of our galaxy, the fact that it's a barred spiral, uh, the fact that it's uh, extremely luminous at its center, and it has that bulge shape, and which is actually more common amongst a bunch of spiral galaxies. But also the fact that um, it was looking for infrared radiation across the entire sky. And so it's looking for these heat signatures across the universe, looking for detecting... Um, where there may be like more stars present, where there might possibly be uh, exoplanetary systems, and all of this is is really important. It all comes together and works works hand in hand, basically. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and do a quick music break, and then we're going to jump into our must-see celestial events, our deep sky objects, and our moon phase of the week, which is actually today. let's jump back into it because we've got some cool stuff going on. So I'm going to start off with, you know, let me do deep sky objects first because I just feel like they're a little bit more fun. Um, And while I have everyone on here, in case anyone has to go early, um, I'm going to get into these because these are temporary. You won't be able to see them after this week Um, and you might have to wait a little bit of time. So starting with January 20th, so just in a few days, Uh, The Open Star Cluster, NGC 2516, if you wanted to write that down, uh, is visible. Now, the only thing is it's only visible from the Southern Hemisphere. Um, If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, sorry, you can't catch it. um, Or if you're doing some traveling in the Southern Hemisphere, awesome. uh, Then you can actually see this. If you don't exactly know where you lie um, on the map, then just go ahead and look at... um, An image of the globe, look up your longitude and latitude, check out where the equator is, and that'll be pretty straightforward. Um, The reason also to know your longitude and latitude is really important uh, for looking at some of these objects, especially the next one, which I will get into in just a second. Let me just give a breakdown of how you could see this object for any of my friends in the Southern Hemisphere. It's at a magnitude of 3.8 in the constellation of Volans. That's V-O-L-A-N-S, Volans. It starts to rise at about 10.01 p.m., and this is uh, local time to Santiago, Chile. That is where I typically tend to put it in for my southern hemisphere friends, uh, just because that's where I've lived. So I just first thing I thought of, it starts to rise at 45 degrees above your southeastern horizon. So it's pretty high up already. It should be higher than any uh, trees or buildings, pretty high above your horizon. And this will actually be its highest point in the sky. It'll remain at this point until eventually the sky starts to fade from uh, darkness into early morning twilight, and then eventually dawn. But now for my Northern Hemisphere friends, on January 23rd, you have NGC 2547, um, I realized, <laughs> it's funny, I did not write this in my uh, email, but it is an open star cluster as well. It's an open star cluster uh, that is actually perfectly uh, positioned in the sky amongst a lot of different colorful interstellar gas and dust if you end up uh, doing any type of astrophotography and you can process these images. But if you're just looking for the cluster, it is um, filled up with a lot of young, hot blue stars. So open star cluster, Those tend to consist of about a 1,000 stars or less. Globular clusters, older stars, more yellowish, orangish, reddish, and they can be like hundreds of thousands, can get up to actually about, I think, 10 million is what I saw the other day as the cap out. That's the most that's ever been measured. So um, it is better seen from the Southern Hemisphere, but you also could see it from the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, The only thing is no further north than 20 degrees north. So when I'm talking 20 degrees north, um, I'm talking about your latitude. So uh, go ahead and maybe head to geodatos.net. That's g-e-o-d-a-t-o-s.net, net. And you can put in your city, you can get your coordinates. Um, and if you're any further north of 20 degrees, uh, you won't be able to see it. Another helpful thing is if you just look at a globe, if you like, go into Google and you type in uh, latitude north-southern hemispheres, you can see Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, um, and then you'll see the different degrees and where basically at what country they stop at. And uh, 20 degrees is, I believe it was right. It was like, I want to try to remember. I'm going to pull up an image actually real quick. Um, 20 degrees was just at about, let me see. If you are, so like Hawaii is just about 20, it's at like 22 degrees. Um, but if you're further south of that's so like Cuba, um, like Colombia, uh, the northern part of South America could see it, uh, parts of Africa, definitely. So anywhere like the, the most northern tip of Africa can't see it, but anywhere um, about like Yeah, again, the 20-degree mark above the equator. I'm looking at it right now, trying to sort of explain it to you guys. But basically along those country areas, right around Central America, is your cutoff. So that being said, if you are able to see it, it's at a magnitude of 4.7 in the constellation of Vela, or Vela, V-E-L-A. And if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's going to start to rise at about 9.55 p.m., at 19 degrees above your southeastern horizon, uh, this is then it's going to reach its highest point at about 12:19 a.m. At about 27 degrees above your southwestern horizon, um, I think I put in Thailand for I did. I put in Bangkok, Thailand for the northern hemisphere for this part because that is located I think about 10 degrees above the equator, pretty central but northern hemisphere. Um, and so if you are yeah, again checking for this area for um, where you want to see this open star cluster, just go ahead and put in your coordinates first, find out where you're located, and then you can start to sort of gauge where to look. Uh, but um, generally for your northern hemisphere, start first looking in your southeastern horizon. That's when it starts to rise. And then at around midnight, it reaches its highest point over your southwestern horizon. And only about 27 degrees would be the highest point. So keep that in mind when you're looking. Uh, Try to get higher up and elevated if you can. If you're in the southern hemisphere, uh, this is perfect for you. It's a really good uh, viewing point. It starts to rise just at about 10 p.m. local time. Once again, I put in Santiago, Chile. At about 46 degrees above your southeastern horizon, so face the southeast, about 46 degrees above your horizon, that's where it's going to start uh, to become visible. It'll reach its highest point at about 1:42 a.m. at about 74 degrees above your southwestern horizon. So it's really, really high up, 74 degrees. That's like optimal viewing. Um, this way now you're able to like still see it without completely like, you know, like, like pressing your head all the way back to look directly overhead. So 74 is pretty comfortable, uh, you know, like angle to tilt your head at. So it should be pretty well visible for you guys in the Southern hemisphere. I'm jealous that I won't be able to see these, but once again, if you are going to be checking these out, the names are NGC2547 on January 23rd. And on January 20th is NGC 2516. All right, so those are our deep sky objects. And then for our other must-see celestial events, um, I really only had one that I had found, but I decided to sort of break down all the different planets and when they'll be visible. So um, I'm going to start off with January 23rd. January 23rd, Mercury is an inferior conjunction. At 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, if you receive the weekly transmission, the image I attached was actually for Venus, but it's just as relevant for Mercury. Mercury and Venus are the only two planets right now that we consider to be ever to ever be able to reach inferior conjunction, and that's because they are located between Earth and the Sun. We are the third planet from the Sun, and so since you have Mercury and Venus, um, they between us and the Sun. When we, you know, are moving in our orbits all independently, sometimes it'll happen where Earth and either Mercury or Venus will be perfectly lined up with the sun. So this way there's three in a row. When that happens, it's called inferior conjunction. So this is when it's, if you look at a line, you have the sun and then Mercury and then Earth. Earth or the Sun, Venus, and then Earth. And so when that happens, uh, you can't see the planet. It's not really visible. Uh, The only way you could potentially see it is uh, if you're using a really good uh, solar telescope or maybe using an H-alpha filter and the planet transits across the Sun and you might be able to catch its shadow, which would be pretty cool. Uh, There have been images taken before of Mercury transiting across the Sun from Earth, Earth's point of view, and it looks pretty cool. All right, so that is uh, the basically the only one I found. But um, uh, once again, as I mentioned, I'm going to give you guys a breakdown of all the planets that are visible. So visible, uh, sorry, Venus <laughs> visible. Venus is visible in the evening. Uh, the, all these planets I mentioned are evening planets that you can catch. Um, I, I just decided not to mention the morning ones because the magnitude of them aren't really that prominent. And so it won't be that good to see. The visibility won't be that great. So you've got Venus, Jupiter, Mercury, and Saturn. Venus is at a magnitude of negative 4.3. So keep in mind, uh, the bigger the negative number, so negative 4.3 as opposed to negative one, it means that it's brighter. You can see it. It looks brighter in the night sky. So Venus is usually the brightest planet. It sometimes uh, is can be dimmer than Jupiter. Sometimes Jupiter is the brightest planet in the night sky. But usually, for the most part, Venus would be because it's visible uh, mostly all year long. It also uh, was nicknamed the evening star because it's usually the first thing you'll see uh, in the night sky. Um, sometimes even when the sun is is just starting to go down. Uh, and so that's visible in the Sagittarius constellation. So if you want to look out for that, Jupiter is visible in the Aquarius constellation in the evening at a magnitude of negative 2.1. So here are those numbers again. Negative 2.1 is dimmer than negative 4.3. It'll take probably some getting used to uh, those comparisons of numbers, but you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys got it. And then Mercury is going to be visible also in the evening in the Sagittarius constellation until, of course, it reaches inferior conjunction, and then it shifts into being visible in the morning. So it's been visible for most of the month up until about the- January 23rd when it reaches inferior conjunction. Its magnitude is negative 0.7. So now it's getting closer to the positive end of the number scale. Once it reaches the positive end, you're kind of going into uh, telescope territory. You're going into territory where your your unaided eye can't see objects uh, too well. And um, you can still see it, though, at a negative 0.7. And then we're finally in positive number territory with Saturn, which is in the Capricornus constellation. And that's at a positive 0.7. I should have added the plus sign to my email now that I'm looking at that a second time. I, I type these up so quickly and then I'll like send myself two test emails and then um, I don't always catch everything, but it would have been a little more helpful to add a positive sign to this. So if you got my email transmission and you're looking at Mercury and Saturn, Mercury is a negative 0.7. Saturn is a positive 0. 0.7. So Saturn is more dim than Mercury in this case. So it'll be a little more difficult to see, but you should still be able to see it. um, Unless you're in an area with a lot of light pollution, uh, then you'll probably need some kind of like definitely binoculars will be enough or just get to a darker sky. So, uh, yeah, those are the planets. Um, I didn't mention Uranus and Neptune um, because those are just so dim. Uh, It's beyond visible eye, um, unaided eye like visibility. Uh, And so I didn't mention them for this month, but in February, they will become a little bit more visible, but they are still early, early in the morning. So unless you're an early riser, I don't know if you'll be catching that. So those are our um, must-see celestial events. The final thing is the full moon. So the moon phase of this week is the full moon, which happens today at approximately 6.48 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's when it reaches the fullness of the full moon. And then it begins to uh, wane or shrink into uh, last quarter and then new moon again. Um, So... Um, Look out for the full moon. I've definitely been catching it every night. It looks beautiful, super, super bright, really large, especially when it's lower on the horizon. It looks so cool. Um, It's just one of my favorite things to catch in the night sky. So that is everything for this week. Um, We've got Astronomy Timber of the Week. We've got our Space History, Deep Sky Objects, and our musty Celestial Events, and our Moon Phase. Um, So as far as announcements go, um, I do have this Thursday as my first interview with Jose Mori, also known as Dr. Intergalactic, and he has so many incredible initiatives. He has has a ton of different businesses he works, um, that he's created, that he makes, um, that he's made, and that he is working towards in the field of STEM and science, especially education and and entertainment, or also known as edutainment, and uh, what else? I was going to mention something else. Um, I'm just, uh, yeah, either way, I'm super stoked for the interview. Comics. I was going to mention comic books. Um, he, he's made, he's written and illustrated and made so many really cool comics. I've already been reading through them. You'll learn more about it uh, on our interview, which is going to be this Thursday, January 20th at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'd love for you to join, to join the conversation. Um, so I am putting together questions for him. I've also let him know that we also can take live questions from the audience. So if you guys want to come up with anything or you think of it on the spot, um, I'd love for you to join the call then. Um, and that's that's about it right now. I've got a few other guests on standby just confirming with them um, their availabilities and also that they have an iPhone and can download the call and app. Um, but I will announce those uh, very shortly. So that is about everything. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you guys get to ca- go outside and catch some of these deep sky objects. And until next time, add Astra.